What's going on, everybody? Before we kick off this episode of the Seabros Fishing Podcast, we just want to make a quick announcement in regards to the status of charter fishing aboard the Mass Bay Guides fleet. Governor Baker just announced that we are not allowed to have charters aboard our vessels until further notice, basically until the the social distancing and stay-at-home advisory rules and regulations are changed or alleviated in the coming weeks. Um, it also directly relates to the essential, the essential business um, rules, regs, and, and guidelines that that the state of Massachusetts has in place. It's a it's a bummer. It's a real impact to. Um, our family, our business, obviously. Hopefully, it doesn't last too long. Where we're optimistic that we'll be able to get back at it, maybe the end of May, June. We're not really sure. We're trying to be, we're just trying to be as hopeful as we can. So, if you have trips booked with us for the months of May and or the the month of June, please, please, please postpone. Please don't cancel. Um, we. We're hoping that we're going to have a uh, have a little bit later of a season this year, and and we'll be able to kind of carry this this missed fishing time through till till the fall once um once things start to clear up here. Hopefully, with the the whole COVID nineteen outbreak. So, we just want to thank everyone for the continued support, both to the podcast and to Mass Bay Guides and and our and our charter business. You know, we couldn't do this without you. We really appreciate it. We appreciate you keeping us in mind and and um, and sticking with us through this. And and we're here for you as well. We're going to try to keep pushing out more content. We're still able to fish aboard our boats as a family, so we'll definitely be um, staying dialed in in regards to the fishing aspect of things. But also, we're going to try to push out some some new video contents, more podcast content, and uh, and keep busy and. And keep everyone in good spirits. So that's it. That's our update. I'll uh, I'll get into our, our sponsors now. Thanks, everybody. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Seabros Fishing Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Mass Bay Guides. Mass Bay Guides, a family-run charter fishing fleet based out of Situate, Massachusetts. We've been providing anglers with the ultimate fishing adventure for over 20 years. Whether you're looking to put together a multi-boat corporate fishing trip or you're an avid angler that travels the world and you're looking to catch a giant bluefin tuna the mass big guides crew will do anything it takes to make sure you your friends and your family have a great day on the water to book a trip with us visit the mass big guides website at massbayguides.com and for the latest reports content and other info you can follow us on facebook and instagram at at massbayguides this episode is also brought to you by Deep. New England born and bred, Deep is inspired by the fit of the skate and surf retail world, anchored in the technical aspects of the outdoor and offshore fishing apparel market. Deep designs clothes that bring comfort in the elements and also at the bar and restaurant. If you guys visit www.shopdeep.com, you can check out all the new apparel that they have coming out this spring. And if you use the promo code SEARSBRO, that's S-E-A-R-S, BRO20, you get 20% off your next order. We love these guys. Um, we've been friends with them for a while. Uh, what's cool about this company is 
you know, some of the owners actually, they actually fish. They fish offshore. They fish the canyons. They giant tuna fish. They have a really, really good offshore program. So, you know, they're, they're making apparel and gear that, you know, truly does fit kind of the lifestyle and, and some of the requirements that we have in, in the offshore fishing world. Our guest on today's show is a captain based out of Southern California and is regarded as one of the top fly fishing guides and anglers in the world. His career has taken him around the globe, experiencing some of the most popular and remote fishing destinations this planet has to offer. He hosted the television series, The Outfitters. He's an Orvis endorsed fly fishing guide, and he's been featured in many publications and books, including The Orvis Guide to Saltwater Fly Fishing, 101 Tips for the Absolute Beginner. His primary focus currently is guiding his clients to catching big mako sharks on the fly, all done through sight fishing, which is pretty impressive stuff. You're going to hear about some of his crazy stories and experiences today. He's a, you know, when you, he's one of those rare people that, that we met, we hit it off right off the bat and uh, we've stayed in touch ever since fishing together. Just a great person. Um, So please welcome to the podcast, Captain Conway Bowman. Welcome to the Seabros Fishing Podcast. We'll make sure to cut that out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no you're good. good. You can say whatever you we want. We swear and everything on this. Oh, yeah. Really? yeah, we won't oh, put oh, that yeah. on there. <laughs> I'm almost there. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Hey, guys. What's How's happening? Going? What's going on, boys? I haven't seen you in a couple years. At I least know. Crazy. Two years? I think two or, two or three years, yeah. Man. I think about our trips. The trip we did... All the time. In fact, I was looking at some pictures uh, a couple days ago, and I mean that was such a great three or four days. Just not even. Awesome. I mean, the fishing fishing was great, but I mean, just the company. You guys are awesome, and old G. I mean, he's just <laughs> he's he, the OG is one of my my idols. I want to be him when I go. Old. <laughs> You're getting close there with the mustache. I know you look close. Uh, well, he's my inspiration. <laughs> oh my god! Look at that thing. Oh, I haven't nice. started smoking yet, though. So I don't yeah, know no, that, I wouldn't recommend no, that. No, <laughs> no starting that. <laughs> oh, that's, anyway, so what's new and exciting? You uh, started doing a podcast, I hear. I did. So my wife and I uh, we started a podcast called uh, Barbless. So there's four, bar- uh, three Barbless podcast hosts or uh, networks, uh, and we're the Southern California network. So we specifically do Southern California fishing. You know, sur- it, whatever. Uh, pertains to uh the water salt water fresh water but mostly it's fishing but we do some surfing stuff too and some spear fishing and and uh but we bring in a lot of interesting uh personalities from southern california um and so far it's it's worked out really well so and it's on the barbels network so this network kind of reaches out and, and tries to get a bigger audience base so whether that's happening now i don't know because of the covid thing but um but i know that we've gotten some pretty good reviews so yeah it's good Something else to do. Oh, absolutely. It's a a lot of fun. I mean, we're talking about fishing anyways. You might as well record it and enjoy it, you know? Why not? And and you know what? What I find is a lot of folks, especially now, just want to engage with people that fish, even though, like, right here, we can't, nobody can fish. Right. I mean, everybody's locked down. So somebody that's actually, or folks that have gone out and have guided or have done a lot of fishing, 
people can connect and get, you know, good information. It's a great opportunity to give out information too. Um, so when we do finally open up, they can go ahead and, you know, hopefully be better anglers. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, so what's the what's the current situation there now? I mean, I know a lot of these podcasts and a couple we've done recently have kicked off with kind of the the COVID impacts, but you guys are completely shut down, right? Yeah, we are. Yeah, it, it's well, you know, it's interesting. Yesterday they opened up fishing, but only uh, not not on boats. You cannot boat. You can't put a boat on the ocean. You can't put a boat on a reservoir or a lake. Um, but you can be an individual fisherman if you're walking. You can't stop on the beach. You have to keep walking. Or if you are in a single-person, non-motorized vessel. So that's a kayak, yeah. stand-up paddleboard, you know, so anything like that. So you can actually do that. So that opened up yesterday. So that's phase one. Phase two is they're going to open up to more boating opportunities. But I'll tell you, it's crazy because we have a big, you know, obviously a big ocean fishing contingent here. People that recreate, you know, on the weekends to go to go just recreational fishing. Yeah. But we also, you know, our reservoirs are world famous for bass fishing. So we've got the bass fishing guys just going crazy because all these reservoirs are shut down, locked down, gates are locked. And that's what that's my day gig. I'm I'm a dam keeper and a wetlands manager for the city of San Diego, one of the best bass reservoirs. Lake Hodges is part of my watershed that I manage mm-hmm. and uh, guys want to get into this lake so bad and we just can't, we can't let them do it. And the concern is, you know, social distancing, right? So uh, if you think about it, a bass boat, you get two guys, but what they're, what I think the, the state, the cities and all the cities are afraid of, you're going to get five guys, five people pile onto these boats and they're going to go out and, you know, so it's, it's a drag. Uh, you can't go to the city parks, you can't go to the beach. You can, you can surf, but you can't hang out on the beach. It's crazy. Which is, wow. which is weird. So you got to run across, go surf, and then run back to your car and go back to your, to your house. It is bizarre. And, and honestly, California is really, I think they've, you know, in the beginning, it was okay because they were predicting, ah, 25 million people are going to die. Well, guess what, folks? Those numbers aren't panning out. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are getting restless going. They're calling bullshit on the whole right. thing. And frustrated. It is. And I, I get it. You know, we, yeah. and who knows? I mean, I think they had to do those extreme measures at first. But but I think people are getting impatient because they're not sort of, you know, loosening the spigot right now when they're not seeing the cases that yeah. were predicted or projected. Yeah. But, you know, hey, my dad and my mom are 93 and I've got two young kids and, and they're in that that group where they could get ill so i kind of get it but then i also get the other side it's like well shit let me go fishing I know. let me go surfing. i think everybody's torn everybody yeah. feels a little bit of this and that and like you you don't really want to go out but you know you really do want to go out so it's hey it's but tough. i gotta tell you it is and uh, honestly being out in nature whether you're on the water whether you're hiking the back country that is the best thing most healthy thing you can do yeah to get your head straight because being cooped up in a house confined to your neighborhood yeah you get to go out and walk every night but you gotta go people are going crazy because we're we're not made for that we are not especially where i live everything here is outdoors man it's surfing fishing you know going to the mountains whatever and people are now are confined in this box and they're going crazy so it's an interesting sort of uh observation on human nature it's it's really it's it's weird now i'm fortunate because I get to go to work every day and I work my, this gigantic ranch or this wetlands that I manage is 402 square miles. 
So, you know, I'm out in nature. So I'm, I'm one of the fortunate ones. But so many of the people that I know are really hurting right now. They just can't go do anything. So it, it, it's too bad. It is. Yeah, it's tough. They're just, I mean, obviously our season's just about to kick off. I mean, it already has. Ground fishing has already kicked off. So we're starting to see the the regulations implemented. They just announced yesterday that we're not allowed to charter fish. We can still, oh, really? Yeah, we can still recreationally fish as long as it's only household members aboard the vessel. Yeah. And yeah. then commercial fishing is still allowed, although, you know, demand is an issue. Um, yeah. you know, restaurants and everything like that being closed. But I, we're, I think we're, we're not quite as strict as California, but it, right. um, we could get there. We could get there. You know, you know I mean, we're kind of you guys are ahead of you guys have been ahead of us in the outbreak anyways by several weeks. So we're just coming into our peak slash plateau now. So it's not so oh, interesting. OK, yeah, it, it's it's crazy. I mean, I know I, t- I told you this when um, when we first met, when we were fishing together. But uh, I'm also an emergency manager, too. I mean, I have a day job yeah. in the off season. So never in a million years would I've thought that my emergency management life and my fishing life would collide as hard as they're colliding right now. It's crazy. It is nuts. Isn't yep. it? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is the weirdest, you know, my dad's 93 and he's always talking about, Hey, he lived, he was, he lived through the depression, world war two and all that stuff. And he's like, he goes, man, this is, this is some weird shit. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, wow. Yeah. But, you know, um, I mean, we'll, we're going to get through it for sure. Yeah. It's just a matter of how long we can, you know, hold course, right? Just stay, you know, stay calm. But I, but I tell you, you know, we've had protests here. People going ape shit crazy down at City Hall. I mean, it's That's it's starting. That's starting now. Yeah, I'm already yeah. seeing so, some Facebook stuff going on. Of yeah. It's, fishermen it's in particular. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, and that's it. The fishermen really feel like, you know, they, they've been, you know, in it's sort of out here. There's this, this anti-establishment uh, vibe with fishermen, you know, because they're kind of counterculture anyway. A lot of times, yeah, you know, I'm going to go fish, but they really think the government is going to shut down their fishing. Fishing. I mean, they really do because you know, um, in recent years, California has come in and, and 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 made these marine protection areas. They took that away from fishermen, um, and now they're thinking they're going to take the lakes away. So there's this like deep state vibe going. Oh, you know, so it's really weird because you can't really manage that. And I, I talk to a lot of fishermen every day. I'm like, well, that's not what's going on. What's going on is we just need to just hold course for a while until this thing gets under control. And it is. But once again, people are impatient. Hey, this is prime time fishing right now. We're moving into it as you guys probably are. Yep. Guys want to get out there. They just wanted to get away. Right. You know, so it's, it's just a tough, tough gig all the way around. It is. It really is. It's, it's nice having you on here too, kind of, you know, with your, wetlands management side and and you you're able to kind of see both sides of the fence so it's it's nice to uh it's nice to hear that for sure yeah you know? yeah yeah and it's and i feel both sides but it's funny just like you i mean you're, you're part of the critical infrastructure right so you're out there working yeah. are you yeah i yeah, mean so, it's been it's been yeah. both i mean I, i'm working i work for the schools around fenway park so they're all shut down and closed so and we, uh, and yeah. we can't it's weird because you know usually we're holding command center briefings in person and stuff this is the first event i've ever managed where we're doing incident command briefings remotely because not everyone could be in the same room it's made it really yeah. t- really tough to deal with for sure that is crazy yeah, yeah that's nuts yeah right. I, I like my 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 gig i mean i'm part of the critical infrastructure. So I have, I had to report to work. Yep. So, um, 
but uh yeah and but i'm having like remote meetings with my bosses downtown you know just yeah. just talking and so but it is it is a crazy time but you know what we'll get through it and we'll be fishing hopefully sooner than later I, so you know i think i think so too and that's a good yeah. segue to let's talk about some fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's exactly. talk about fun shit. <laughs> yeah. So, Fishing. I mean, I mean, you kicked it off perfectly, but how did like how we all met was pretty awesome. Like that was a that was a really good jiving crew, and you know, <laughs> it was, for, awesome. it was, it was it, a good it, time. I mean, do you want to kind of like give a little background as to how that all evolved and what that trip was all about? We'll go from there. Yeah. So, um, so I, I did a TV show called The Ford Outfitters, mm-hmm. and uh, we we picked you guys to 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 do an episode and, and remember it was about featuring the truck but what the great thing about it was um and, and when you do when you do tv shoots a lot of times you know you you, you 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 do the shoot you meet the guys and you leave but the thing about you guys including your father um he's the star of the, such, he's the star of the show yeah, let's be yeah. honest let's, let's be <laughs> honest you know, but as a host yeah i tr- you know you, when you connect with people it just makes everything that much easier on tv yeah. so it's not even like you're doing tv you're just out having a couple days of fishing right. and having a great time and that's what it was and it, and and the, the 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 atmosphere was so great the i mean everything was just perfect it was one of my favorite shoots ever so but the goal was this i, I and from what i recall i wanted to get a poor beagle because I love to catch sharks. The poor beagle was on my bucket list. Yep. And um, so we got that. Did we get one or two? Two. One? We got two. Two, and yeah. Then, but we had, and then we we got some big giant blue sharks. Right. Which was killer. And what? And I think that was it, right? Yeah, you did some but, bottom bottom fishing, just kind of goofing yeah. around. We tuna fished. Yeah. We tuna fished one day because you, I wasn't on the boat the day you guys got the poor beagles. But remember, there was like acres of small fish out there. Yeah, and then we just and they had one fish, and yeah. they all went away. Yeah, <laughs> typical right. fashion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but you know what? What stands out? I mean, obviously getting getting the fish that was great, but it was more about you guys and how what a great operation you guys run. It's a family run operation. But the great vibe that you just gave me, and you embraced a West Coast guy coming out there, having no clue what's going on, and it was great. I learned a lot. But I, I feel, and, and we haven't, we haven't had a face to face since then. But it's just like we just picked it right back up. Oh yeah, you know, I mean, so and, and that was, and that was, uh, that that was the greatest. And it's funny where where I keep my boat on Dana Landing. The owner of that landing is actually from um, from your that town, Situate, right? Yeah. Right. No. Yep. He's from Situate. His name's wow. Steve Pennard, and he knows the guy who owns the tackle shop that we went into that had the poor beagle mounted. Yeah, Belson's. Um, Belson's Bay. Yeah, yeah, he knows that guy really well. And so I came back, and I'm telling you, he's like, oh, yeah. I, I, Steve said he lived up on the hill someplace. But So there was a connection there. So uh, so every time I see Steve, oh, when are you going back to Situate? And I said, well, God, I wish I could go back right now. But um, but no, it was uh, it was a great trip. It was just awesome. Yeah, and I mean, and what a... I mean, Situate is one of the most beautiful places. Oh my God. And that place is unbelievable. I mean, same same goes for your neck of the woods though. I haven't spent much time in Southern California, but that place is sweet. You know, it is. But what I love about where you're from is just the history. When you look at those buildings, you look at the boats, you look at everything there. There's just such a history there, you know, and it's just, you know, I don't know the bars we walked into. You could just, you can just feel the history and how long it's been there. And it's, I love that. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, but, that's cool. Um, but the show was great. Um, and I, you know, I was hoping to get back there, um, like the season after to actually fish those stripers with you guys, but I never ba- made it back. So hopefully we can do that 
sooner than later. Well, the invite's always open, so uh, if, if we get through if we get through this whole COVID madness, you're certainly welcome. <laughs> you're certainly welcome to come battle some big bass on the fly and do that. Oh, I'll be I'll be there. I'll yeah, be there for sure. So what's uh? I mean, I've been listening to a, a few of your podcasts. Well, I actually just listened to the Mako on Fly one with you and your wife, which was awesome. Um, so what's like, what's the bread and butter fishery there in Southern California? Like it, it actually, you know, and I'm looking from a kind of a high level view, but it's kind of similar to what we have going on over here. I mean, like you have your, your ground fish stuff, like your yellowtail is kind of like our like striped bass, but obviously more yeah. offshore. You have your shark fishery, you have your bluefin fishery, but can you kind of describe like what your, like what the, the norm is there and like just seasonally? Yeah. So for, for saltwater, which I mean, uh, lots of people, most people saltwater fish here. So, you know, you're looking at, so our season typically runs, um, you know, it'll be, it's kind of kicks up in February and you get these big home guard yellowtail, uh, surface feeding yellowtail, and they're like an amberjack. So if people on the East coast look at our yellowtail and they go, Oh, it's an amberjack anyway. So that starts. And then as we progress in, into spring, that becomes more, you know, you get bigger schools of them because they kind of migrate up from the south, out from Mexico. Um, and then that turns into, so you've got yellowtail, and then you get our Pacific barracuda, bonita. But then you really ramp it up, you ramp it up for the tuna, which, which are around all the time now. The guys really start focusing on those um, right around, you know, the spring and then June, July, August. And you're it's, talking, it's, you're talking blue fins, right? Or are you talking blue yellow fin, fins yeah. too? Yeah, but yellowfins come in usually. They'll get mixed in there in June, July. Uh, actually, yeah, June, July, August, September. But you know, the bluefin thing is 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 sort of this thing that is in more recent years. Right. You know, I would say in the last, I don't know, it's really ramped up the last seven years. Because when I was a kid, you never saw you never saw bluefin ever. You saw you saw the longfin albacore, and then that would turn into yellowfin tuna in the summer. But now it it it's almost all bluefin. So there's really? something going, yeah. There's something going on out here um, with the currents that are pushing those bluefin in because they've always been here, right? But but I think for a long period of times the ocean currents would keep them way offshore. But there's something now going on where the currents are getting just right, and and they're pushing those fish, fish in closer to shore. Um, I was talking to some scientists because yeah, he said he said the axis of the Earth is starting to change and the ocean currents are are definitely changing. And, you know, they have the like Scripps Institute is just right down the street from where I live. And they have all these great ocean current models they look at and they can kind of see the ocean current shifting. And so he directly uh, equated that to why the bluefin are in here. But also, you know, it's other things like food item. You know, the food items different now. Um, the water quality is probably, you know, it's with that with those currents kind of pushing it, pushing in a different quality of water. Maybe. I don't know. Um, what, the are they, definitely what are they eating water. mostly there? So anchovies, yeah. uh, sardines, uh, but primarily anchovies. So, but also, you know, the small sardines, the smaller sardines. Like we don't see, we used to get these big giant sardines down here. We don't really see those anymore. At least I don't. But, you know, those big bluefin also eat, eat, the, uh, eat um, the sort of Spanish mackerel. Those, you know, the, like, you know, they're, I don't know, about that big. Yeah. And we've had tons of those around. So it's just, you know, it's weird. But if you read about the history of Southern California fishing, blue water fishing, big game, saltwater fishing, um, the Avalon tuna club or the Avalon fishing club, they were catching bluefin at the turn of the century here. I mean, that was a big target species and big ones too. Yeah. They were getting bluefin, 
Uh, they were getting blue marlin, striped marlin, all that stuff. So I think we're just going through a cycle now hmm. where, you know, we may have 10, 15, 20 years of bluefin tuna. And this may be a really, you know, I mean, it's been a really productive bluefin fishery for uh, a few years now and it may continue. Yeah, it looks it looks epic. I mean, the kite fishing and, and yeah, all the that flying stuff. Fish. The flying fish. That's what guys are doing mostly, right? So, yeah, they're, they're mo- mostly doing that. I don't do that. I know lots of guys that do, but that's something that's been a more of, a, I think, a recent thing, too, right? In the last couple of years. Right. Yeah. Um, and, but in the kite fishing is definitely that's come over from the East Coast. And I, I can't give you a timeline when they really started doing that heavily. But I want to say it was in, in more in recent years than 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 further back. Yeah. Uh, but the great thing is, you know, these guys target these bluefin out of small skiffs. I mean, in my 24 foot bay boat, you know, I can go 30 miles and I'm, I'm in them, you know, and. Um, so, and I, I saw, I saw bluefin last year. I was on a make a shark, make a shark trip and I was chumming. I was in, I think I was in 75 fathoms, which is three miles off the beach. And I had just, just a giant school of bluefin just come right through my slit. That's wow. really rare to have them that close. Wow. But I mean, but obviously the, the water conditions were right. The food item was right. And they were, they were there. So, um, and I just heard yesterday that they are at nine miles right now they're out there but nobody can get to them you know you're hearing this from the commercial guys that are out there so yeah that's one thing we've been speculating on here too is like you know obviously trying to anticipate what the season's going to look like with everything going on but with all this pressure off of them you know if this does you know i mean for us it starts you know basically july august but yeah if there isn't as much pressure on them and over there same thing i mean there's a good chance that it's a pretty epic fishery when this is all oh my said God. and done. And, yeah, and you'll in what you see with the bluefin out here, and as you do probably with yours, is you know their light switch will just get ticked off if they get too much, too many people on them. And the way a lot of the, these guys fish them here is they'll run right up on these. I mean, these are giant foaming schools of bluefin. I mean, huge. And you've probably seen the the videos of them. Yeah. These guys doing, and they're throwing you know poppers and stuff in there, and it's putting those fish down. They get all all goofy. But I've seen those things when they're really relaxed. Jeez, I mean, you can, I mean, you, just the way they feed, they just, just kind of slurp and bake, no problem. They're not nervous. And I think that's probably how it is now because nobody's on them at all. And I think, I want to say somebody told me they reached the commercial tonnage limit already for bluefin tuna. So they're not getting, they can't get harassed by the, by the commercial guys. Yep. So... I mean, there you go. So that might be a, a recipe for some really good success this year. So, um, but you know, I don't know. It'll so. be, it'll be interesting to see. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. When, when's the, um, so, I mean, anyone who's heard of you knows your operation, knows that your bread and butter is and your specialty is the whole Mako shark and specifically Mako shark on fly. So when does that whole, you know, I know cause I've, you know, talked to you and stuff already, but when, uh, when when's that, prime time? Yeah, when's prime time? Like if 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 we wanted to to check the the bucket list fish, Mako on fly. What what would the trip look like? So I would say June July is prime time, and that uh, and that's another weird thing. It's shifted from August. August used to be the, the the time, but the last four or five years it's moved up. And I I got my first Mako right before this COVID thing hit. First wow. Mako of the year. That that was early. Last year in May, I was getting them. I mean, we, what we'll do is what happens is we get a good push of those fish once the water hits 62 degrees. So last May, and, and it was it was it was actually 60, 
60 and a half or something a couple of weeks ago. And there, there was my first nickel. I'm like, wow. But that tells me that they're, that they're around the water now today is 62. And I guarantee you they're, they're out there, you know? So anyway, so once that water gets right, they move up and they move, they move up from Mexico, you know, they're in the warmer water and they kind of move up and then they'll, you'll get a first wave in, in May and then in, in later May, then, then they move. And then you, the, the second wave, it typically goes for bigger fish. And they come in right around, you know, June 1st. And they'll hang around through, you know, July. But then you start getting mixed bigger fish. Like, I mean, giant makos. And I've seen so many more big giant makos over the last three or four years. Um, and I mean, big. Uh, 500, 800 pounders. Oh. You know, get, get, <laughs> get, getting those things in 50 fathoms and less. Um, so, and I don't know why that's happening, but we're just seeing a lot more. of them. And so once again, now it could be the food item for them, right? You've got the bluefin, the bluefin here. Guess the what? bluefin is what it sounds like. I, I think, I think you're right. Yeah. And I, I, I've sat on my boat for hours, just, you know, waiting for a shark to show up and going, why do we have so many more big makos around, you know? So, um, um, uh, can you guys hear that? Somebody's trying to. Get no, we can. Okay, anyway, you're you're good. Hear. We can still hear you. Yeah, okay. we can see you. So again anyway, now. Yep. so I think that's why we're doing it. <clears throat> Last year, okay. Anyway, back to the question. So, prime time, June, July, high percentage shot. You're going to see a, a, a good number of makos or hook some, <clears throat> and also have the opportunity to fish over 300 pounds on the fly. So, sight fishing these fish with marlin poppers, marlin tight poppers. Um, in a small skiff, I, I run a, a 24 foot bay boat. And I'm fishing relatively close to shore, and it's all sight fishing, so um, it's uh, you know it's pretty exciting. And you know the fly anglers, you don't have to be a great fly angler because you only have to cast 20 feet. But what it's all about is watching that take, having that fish haul ass and jump 20 feet in the air, and then keep doing that as I'm chasing them down with the boat. Unbelievable. So yeah, it's cool. It's a very unique fishery, probably. You know, getting makers that close to the shore is pretty rare anywhere in the world, maybe other than here or maybe New Zealand. Yeah. Um, but but it's, you know, I can I can go out. A lot of times I'll run af- afternoon tide trips because I like fishing in the afternoon because the sun is usually right to see fish coming in because, you know, our, our, our sun is, you know, typically overhead later in the afternoon. But also I get I get larger mako sharks in the afternoon for whatever reason, huh. you know. So, I, I, and so that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll fish. Sometimes I'll fish two tides in a day. I'll fish, you know, an afternoon tide, whatever. But it's a, it's a really easy trip, and uh, people love it. You know, and, and I I just love people. Just I love seeing a trout first, a trout guy or gal who's never even caught a fish bigger than twelve inches go out on the boat, and all of a sudden, you know, I I, I sum up a three hundred pound acre. They're like, oh, that's shit. unbelievable. That's what and it's all about. It, yeah, and they hook it, and they're like, oh my god. So. Yeah. Because people don't think you can actually get fish that big on a fly. Those are That's the most, badass. I, 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 I th- hands down think those are the most acrobatic fish on the oh. face of the planet. And one of they the most are. powerful fish for sure. Yeah. I mean, what do you guys use they, it for, for gear and stuff like that? Like, you know, for chum, are you just getting chum with the tackle shop? Are you making your own chum? Yeah, I, 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 so I use fresh tuna in the summertime. So I've got a guy who's got a, he's got a fish, um, a fish market. Mm-hmm. And he saves me all of his bluefin tuna carcasses. Nice. And I've got, and he freezes them for me. And he freezes them in five gallon buckets. And I go there and I say, hey, dude, I need five this week or 10 this week, whatever. So that's what I use. So it's that really fresh tuna. And then I, then I supplement that with manhaden oil. Uh, 
And I put that basically in a, in a milk crate and I just kind of, I kind of purge it all day with a big PVC, you know, uh, um, pipe and I just kind of let it kind of, uh, you know, flush out and it, it works great. So and if I get the pinch, I can't get the tuna. I'll, I'll use the commercial stuff, but the commercial stuff definitely is not as good because no, those, sure. yeah. those sharks, when they're here, they're dialed in on a certain food item and that's what they want. Right. And it's amazing how they react to that chunk. I mean, they'll come in just fired up, um, if it's the right thing to eat. So, hmm. so, so the chum, that's the chum. And then, uh, tackle I use. So I'll start with a, like a 12 weight. That's that, that's the smallest rod I use. And then once I start, you know, once we start getting fish up over 200 pounds, I'll, I have custom one, one piece rods that I have made for me. You know, they've got fighting gimbals on them and all that stuff. Um, and they're, they're I think they're Calstar 820 blanks. So they're, 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 uh, 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 conventional rods. So you don't but have you that- so you don't have rods exploding on your customers, pretty much. Well, yeah, because if you hook a big maker, you need to put every bit of effort into cracking that, breaking that fish right now, and and that that, that fight could last for a couple hours. A, a, a traditional multiple piece fly rod, I don't care if it's fourteen weight, will break. I mean, there's no question. If, if a guy, if, have you, you know, done this? Have you broken? It them? sounds like you've no, broken. I, a I see. I see people do it all the time. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, I'm sure. What happens is, so you, you get the people that aren't experienced at catching big fish, and they get out there and they get excited. You know, they start They're lifting the water up, right. like a fly rod, and high, it's like, don't do sticking, that. And then yeah. all of a sudden, the thing just the thing breaks, right? Right. So the one piece rod is really forgiving, so people can kind of get excited, and, you know, do this, and the rod can bend. It's not going to break, but. At the end of the battle, they, they actually have enough lifting power to really get that fish up. Now, you know, when you got a 300-pound mako around the boat, it's, you know, you can get that, sometimes only get that shark so close, you know. Uh, but, it, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep, you know, yep. You know, so, but, uh, it, and when you bump it up to like 600 pounds, that's really interesting because you, you can't roll those things. So they'll get under the boat and kind of plane like this, and you guys kind of see them. You know, they're kind of moving along. Here's the boat, you know, and then you just ha- have to pop the line. But, so those are the rods. Um, the reels, just big. I use big, gigantic Orvis Mirage Sevens with 800 yards of Spectra. And then I top shot that with 200 yards of 30 pound Dacron high vis. And then I use um, I use 60 pound mono, probably another 200 feet of that. And then I just have a, 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 a like a like a top shot floating head on that. It, it might. It, I think it might be 30 feet or something. It's just a shooting head, so I can get the fly out there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wow. And then what's like the fly setup? Do you have a, you know, wire leader? How long is the yeah. wire leader? All that. So three to four foot piece of wire. It's usually a hundred, 120 pound, um, single strand haywire twist to a, to a tuna ring to the, to the leader part. And then I use a tube fly. So there, I wish I had one. Should I, should I should have, I could have held it up, but well, we can, you um, can send us pictures and we'll put them on like our I'll Instagram send you all and that, stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, so the tube fly, you know, with a foam head, so you put that on, and then I use a a ten aught mustad. They're kind of they're not custom hooks. The guys the guys made them for me a few years ago. The really wide gap, uh, and they're they're perfect. Little little finer gauge, not super fine, but just, just but it's easier for to for somebody to to, to set that hook yep. in the corner of a mako's mouth. And that's basically it. And the, and the tube fly is great because when I have to release those sharks, I can move that fly up up the leader and grab grab the Grab the oh, steel leader makes and sense. Get a, yeah, I was wondering how you did release. that. Yeah, yeah, because for and, and the cool thing is, um, 
when I get those really big Makos, and, and some of those flies are massive. I mean, they're like 10 inches long, and they have a really super buoyant, um, like a, it's almost like a, it's a floating ceramic head on them. And so when I release those Makos, I, I, I can't get a clean release on really big ones. You can't stick a, you know, a release stick in the corner of their mouth. So what I do is I pop the leader, right? And at the top of the, uh, at the top of the popper, there's, there's a large hole to where that, to where that, um, tuna ring can slip through. So I'll pop the leader, the shark will swim away and the fly will float right up to the surface and I'll grab it. Oh, so I always, wow. Yeah. That's but cool. the other thing is I use barbless hooks. So, and I've seen this where the sharks will swim away and they'll shake their head and you've seen this and oh, you'll see the, right out. Yeah. you'll see the hook just fall out. So awesome. I get my fly back. They don't have a, a fly stuck in their mouth. It's really a cool thing, but you know, it took me, you know, 25 years to figure that out, but, yeah. but it works really good. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing. Be- cool. There's nothing better than feeling super dialed in on a fishery. I mean, it's like you can tell the way you're ex- describing. Dude, it. you're all the, amped the, up. The passion I love it. is just like, yeah, unbelievable. But you know, it's, it's years of, of of failure and success, and success and failure. Because man, I, I've, uh, you know, I've, I've I've kind of refined things to where it's easier on everybody, especially uh, obviously the angler with the, with the evolution of the tackle, the fish with the barbels hooks and the. And the, uh, and you know, getting my fly back and not, not, but also on me, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with a big mako around the boat trying to release it and, you know, breaking my arm or whatever. So, yeah. But yeah. Speaking yeah. of breaking arms, what's, what's some, you know, scary things that's happened with, uh, hooking these things on a fly rod. Have you had any jump, you know, into the oh. boat, next to the boat? Oh yeah. So I, I've had, <laughs> I've had, um, the one I had, one that I remember most jumping in the boat wasn't a big one. It was a hundred pounds, right? It jumped, it jumped. It, the, the guy was on the bow of the boat, hooks it, and it runs straight back. The boat. It ran out and ran straight back. I'm like, oh shit, this thing's gonna jump in the boat, and it jumped in the boat. It just, you know, because they can, you know, they'll run and they'll kind of, they'll they'll do like a sailfish, right? They'll just kind of launch themselves. So this thing launched itself on the bow of the boat, and then gets down into the deck, and this guy is like, oh my god, you know, he. he uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's up on, he's up on the deck and then he's like no what are you gonna do i go well, i don't know <laughs> watch what happens so the, thing wor- so the mako works his way back to the back to where i am so on my boat i've got like a now you're like, like what uh, do i do <laughs> boy, i'm like i don't know so there's a deck on the back of my boat it's like a step up deck and i'm watching this mako work down the, the uh the port rail just like and you know and when they're out of water out of the water they can see you can see their their head turning oh yeah looking they look at you and yeah. so as he's going down, he's knocking rods um, out of the out of the rod holders. So oh. the rods are going everywhere. And so he gets right at my feet. And I'm up about, oh, I don't know, maybe a foot because I'm on this platform. And he's kind of wiggling around. And then he he, he uh, makes this kind of movement with his tail and gets right up on my swim step, right where I am. We're right on that platform, right at my feet. Holy shit. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> and so by the time I got down there, because I, I wanted just to get him off the boat, but by the time I got down close enough to him, he had slithered off the back of the boat, went over the transom, and swam away. And wow. you know, so so I'm like, and the guy's like, oh, oh Jesus, oh my god, that was crazy. <laughs> and it was it was it was batshit crazy. I'm like, oh my god. And this guy's buddy who was on the boat was literally standing on top of the center console, you know, like up, <laughs> up on the platform where the compass is. <laughs> And he was like, dude, that was like so rad, man. I'm like, yeah, that could have been a real shit show. And his oh, buddy yeah. was like, oh, man, that was really scary. Anyway, but I'll tell you what, ha- what happened this last season. I've never, I've never ever experienced this. So we had a big run of 
of those ma- big makos around. And they were around. And when they're around, they're just, you like, know. This, like 500 plus big? Like, 500 plus thousand pounders. Okay. Yeah. So I get this group. You know, so every year I give away a trip to the local uh, YMCA club, right? And so you get all these guys that bid on it, you know, you know, whatever. So they, so this, these three guys bid on it. All right. So I, 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 I talked to the guy on the phone. Hey, you know, Hey, yeah, we can't, we want to go, we want to go shark fishing. That sounds really cool. I'm like, you're a fish. No, nah, man, but we just really like sharks. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so, so you've never fly. This should be nah, good. This will be fine. No. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, whatever. Okay. I'll see you at the boat. So they meet me at the boat in the morning. Okay. They show up and it, and you guys know this, they, they show up and they're like, I'm like, Oh man, here we go. How early, oh, yeah, how yeah. early or late were they? Were they watching you get the boat rigged or were they? No, no, they actually showed up on time because I think they were just really excited. Yeah. But the guy shows up with like, you know, he's got a, he's got a bag from Whole Foods and he's got like brie and all this shit. In oh it. You know, my God. And the other guy's got a bottle of Chardonnay and the other guy's got like. Going make shark fishing. <laughs> So and the other guy was like, you know, the hipster guy with the with the with the craft beer, and I'm like, oh okay, you know. So anyway, and, and you know, the one guy had like a pink shirt on. And all. I'm like, that's cool, whatever, that's all right. Yeah. yeah. So we get on the boat, and uh, they're like, yeah, this is gonna be great. Well, I hope we see a shark. I think you might see a shark. You might see one. Yeah. So you always we get out downplay. There. Always downplay. So we get out there, yeah. and um, it's we're three hours into this slick, right? And one of the guys is throwing up and the other guys like making fun of him. And the other guys on the back of the boat, just you bored out of his mind. Right. So, um, you know, those charters, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, they you can call, the you can call it before they even leave the dock. Oh my God. That's the best part. The heavy breathing. Like, All right. He's the guy that's going to throw up. He's the guy that's going to be complaining <laughs> oh, the whole time. Was, and he's the guy that's going to be sleeping the whole time. <laughs> they were relentless on the guy that was throwing up. The one guy just wouldn't stop busting his balls. Ah, you pussy. Ah, you have some more breathing. I'm like, uh, I'm like, man, I can't wait for this day to be over. So it's, it, it, it's two 45 and I'm like, uh, okay, guys. Okay. The, the bite time, the way the tide's working, uh, we're getting into like bite time right now. And the guy's like, yeah, right, man. We haven't seen anything all day. I'm like, no, I mean, really it was okay. You know? I'm like, and I'm like, oh shit, I hope a big one doesn't show up. Just because, uh, and so three o'clock, I look down and I see the biggest, <laughs> darkest shadow that just swim about, you know, maybe 10 feet under the bottom. Like, oh. I'm like, shit, I hope that's a sea lion, you know? <laughs> and, and I'm looking, I'm looking, and I didn't say anything to the guys. Now, now they're all three kind of up at the, up at the bow of the boat. One guy's still on the deck, and the other guys are doing this. And so, and then I look, and then I, then then I see it, and I'm like, oh shit! And this is like an 800 pound mako shark. Oh my god! I mean, an absolute massive, massive shark. Um, he had copepods growing off of his pec fins. Um, just a mean, crusty look. I'm like, oh my god! And I even got spooked. I'm like, shit. You know? I'm like, huh? And I'm like, I'm like, all right, guys. Uh, okay, I got one here. How big is it, man? I go. Uh, it's as big as uh, a biggest shark you'll ever see in your life. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so the guy, well, the one guy hangs over the rail, right? And you know, and the, and the you know the fish sank out. And I said, dude, get away from the rail, man. Just just stand up and look. And so this shark popped. I threw the teaser out, and I I got it to pop up and chase the teaser, and it came in right on the teaser, charged right at the boat, and the guy's like, oh my god, that's as big as Jaws. <laughs> 
And I'm like, dude, and I'm like, oh, you guys are definitely not skilled enough to even deal with this. No. Because I think they couldn't cast. And by now they're shit faced, right? Yeah. So I'm like, oh, shit. So anyway, the one guy grabs the rod. I'm like, okay, okay, you want to hook this? Yeah, I want to hook it. I go, okay, do not put that fly in the water, please. Don't just wait for me to, you know, have you cast it. And so I'm looking, I'm focused back here looking for the shark, right? Because he keeps sinking out. He's kind of spooked. Yeah. Throw the teaser out. I got, I got a reaction. 100 feet out, he's sunk down. I'm like, damn it, where'd this guy go? Because he's being really, really cagey. And then um, I look, and the guy has the fly dangling in the water. I'm like, get the fly out of the water, please. Uh, okay, okay. You know, and he's looking over the rail. And so I, I get the shark to come into the boat, got behind the teaser. And as I'm teasing him in, right, I'm watching, watching. Because, as you know, they'll accelerate and grab the yeah. teaser. And here comes the fin. And it's like, Rrr. I'm like, oh, here we go. And I go, okay, get ready, get ready. And the guy goes, guy's like, okay. And I look down, and the fly is floating in the water right next to the boat. Exactly what I didn't want to happen. Because I want him to hook that shark away from the boat. <laughs> so a, as I'm moving this teaser, I'm like, get the fly out of the water. And the shark slipped. And the guy, I think he was mesmerized by the shark. Yeah. He didn't hear what I said. And that shark came in, I mean, a foot off, off the boat and grabbed oh. the fly right there. I'm like, oh, my oh God. shit. <laughs> and then I said, I go, don't set the, and he goes, and he sets the hook. And this this thing went absolutely crazy. It started, it, it, it didn't like swim away. It just started doing these big like throaty turns. A 10-foot Mako doing these giant turns. He was he was going so fast he was making a whirlpool it looked like. Holy I'm shit. I'm like, oh my God. And and the and the guy's like, oh uh. I'm like, I, I give me the rod. So I grabbed the rod out of his hand, and right then the fit the, the shark sounded and pinned me to the rail. Boom! I mean, I'm on the rail. And this thing's going, uh. I'm like, oh shit. By so by this time, the other two guys ran from from the bow, and now they're at the stern. Uh, they're like hiding behind the, the seat or something. <laughs> and, and, and so I'm, I'm watching this shark to sound. And you know what happens? You know, when they sound, they, they'll, they'll come up, right? Um, and I'm go, what's going through my head is, oh, my God, I hope this thing does not come up next to the boat. Because, it, I mean, so as I look to see where the guys are, right, this shark jumps, <laughs> jumps right at the starboard corner. Right here. Boom. Right, right. And it came like, up. Like out yards, of the like, like feet, yards. No, no, feet. <laughs> and all i saw i saw the silhouette of the two guys like looking up like oh my god and i see this thing looks like shamu <laughs> rocketing over their head <laughs> and i'm like oh they're gonna die right now <laughs> oh, my oh my god oh my god, god it's happening oh my god it's happening you know how those things just you know they they it's like bizarre hanging yeah. time yeah and i have that picture in my mind okay uh shark kills two <laughs> You know, crushes two fishermen on Conway Bobby's boat. So anyway, this thing goes up. I'm like, oh, Lord, please lean out and not into the boat. And the thing goes up, 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 and leans out. Oh, my God. And takes off. Oh, my God. And he's still hooked up. So here I am. I've got the rod. and It's just, I'm like, oh, my God. So finally, I don't know how this happened, but I got him around the the outboard motor, right? Because it was down. And I don't know, he, he, you know, anyway, so I worked him around and he was still going. So by that time I get, I grabbed the guy by the, by the, by the shirt sleeve. I pull him over. I go, here, here's the rod. And I put it in his hand. I go, sit right there. So he's sitting on my cooler 
and I'm chasing this mega shark down, <laughs> you know, through the afternoon shop. It's like, <laughs> and so we, 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 we chase them for a couple of minutes and this thing made four or five beautiful jumps and then it came off. And I'm like, thank God. Thank, <laughs> thank God. God. <laughs> <laughs> oh my and I'm God. Like, Holy shit. So these guys were like, Oh my God. He's crazy, man. It was it was insane. That's lifetime. That's lifetime experience stuff, though. That's oh, just unbelievable. These guys could not. They they had no idea because they thought, oh yeah, sharks, man, that's cool. But they didn't know and, they jumped. <laughs> no, they didn't. They didn't know shit. And you mean I'll this eight hundred pound muscle with razor blade teeth is gonna jump twenty five feet in the air? Dude, uh, I will tell you this: if that thing would have leaned back in the boat. It would have killed two guys. It would have oh, crushed them. Wow. And it would have probably, I mean, it would have definitely crushed my outboard motor. It was that big. It was massive. Jeez. But that was, I mean, that was, that was the closest I've ever gotten. So, so, and I now, I mean, and I've always stressed to people, hey, look, you've got to take this seriously. But that really sort of brought to the forefront now that I've got to be a real general on the boat saying, hey, hey, no, 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 no. We're right. going to do exactly what I say and do, you know, because, Somebody could get hurt, mm-hmm. you know, oh, and I, quickly, you know, too, yeah. I mean, you're charter captains, you know, and, but you know, people think that fishing's a goofball. Oh, we're going to go out and have a good time and drink. And that, that. But no, you know, you could, this is serious shit. Not right. when you're, you hooked, know, not when you're hooked into a 500 pound plus animal. That's right. You know, that's right. So anyway, but I had numerous, I think last year I hooked 17 Makos that were over, you know, they're, these are all estimated sizes. So these are fish that are between nine and 12 feet. Right. So I hooked 17. And I got two to the boat, and I think the biggest one is probably close to 600, you know. Is, but, there, is there, like, a measurement that you can eyeball to get a general, like, gauge on the size? Like, for us, for bluefins, it's, like, 95 inches, roughly 450, 500 pounds. Like, is, yeah, I, I don't know. You know, Makos are weird because you have really lean ones. You have yeah. really fat ones. Yeah. You know, I got one I got one off of uh, Long Beach on conventional year, gear a few years ago. And that thing, the guy said it was 1,000 pounds, but it wasn't that long. It was it was just dumpy. Yeah. You know, it was only like ten feet long, but it was like as round as a Volkswagen. Right. Yeah. So I think you just sort of, you know. But I, I, you know, I get a really good. I have a like a uh, a mark on my boat to where I can size them up. Oh, that's eight feet. Uh, that's ten. You know, because yeah. they'll come by when I chum those things and tease them upright. They'll square themselves up to the boat. Then I'll get a visual, and then, but, but because they are so, um, because they're so round, you know, or they're really lean. It kind of just depends. Yeah. That's unbelievable. And what's what's the lightest gear that you use? I mean, is twelve weight kind of where you stick, or yeah, that's where I go. Yeah, yeah. anything lighter than that is kind of. And, and the, it's funny, you'll eat like smaller makos. You hook them on like a ten weight, or they, they don't fight. You know, they, they want oh, to be not stuck. enough drag. Yeah, they want to be yeah, stuck. They in. want to be stuck in their mouth. But yeah. now let's talk about drag. So my drag settings are really light right off the bat because I want that shark to move away from the boat. Yeah. So it's all about the hook set, lodging that hook right in the corner of their mouth where they have that soft tissue. Yep. And then, and it just, it, they hate that. But also when the angler, when they do it right, they throw it out, shark comes up, grabs the fly and makes a turn away from the boat, running from the boat. Then they set the hook and then the shark's getting pulled back and they don't like that either. But when that shark, if you hook a shark coming to the boat, they'll just pick it up and just keep going. And, and you can't really get a good, you know, a, a good hook set on them. And sometimes they'll just kind of bulldog you around the boat. Yeah. And you guys have experienced that with shark. Yeah. You oh, hook yeah. Them, they just kind of sit yeah, down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that Makos, it's really critical to get them right in the corner and all like that. And so fly fishing for them with those poppers is great because you can get them to come up, grab, and you can see right where the hook is, and then you can set the hook. 
Yeah. But it takes, you know, it takes patience with an angler. You get a good angler who knows how to do it. They're going to jump and run every time you get somebody who gets really excited and sets the hook too soon. The shark will just bulldog you. And then those, those, those ones that bulldog you around the boat that don't do anything, those are really scary because they're the ones that'll jump in the boat. Yeah, they can so launch gotta, at any time. They haven't expended their energy yet. That's right. So if the guy's not paying attention, you know, it's like the thing could run under the boat and then jump over here. You didn't see it. So, um, so yeah, but I think by and large, the way to do it is on, on a, on a surface popper, watch the take, let the fish turn, set the hook. And then it's a, it's a really high percentage. You're going to get that fish to do what you want it to do. That's unbelievable. So what are you using for a, uh, a teaser? You were talking about a teaser. I don't think we ever really went into that. Oh, so the skirts you gave me, cause I still have, a Oh yeah. Thank you. <laughs> nice. No, those are great. So I use those skirts. Yeah. And then, uh, I just basically use, um, you know, I'll get a bonita and I'll just basically use a belly strip of a bonita. And I just basically stitch it in there or I use a, you know, sometimes, sometimes I'll use a big, uh, you know, a big clip, big snap clip. That's it. So you're getting a visual, you're casting out, you're getting them all fired up and then you're casting the fly. Exactly. Yep. Now some makers will come in really aggressive. And I, I won't even tease them. You know, I mean, if they come in hot, I just have the guy. Okay. I'll say, look, pick your shot. And, and there's certain angles you want to hook them. Right. So, you know, you want that fish that's going from the stern to the bow and cutting across the slit, place the flag five, 10 feet in front of them, make one big pop and they'll, the shark will come up and grab it, let them turn and set the hook. Sometimes those sharks will come in, they're really, you know, they're, they're cagey and they'll come in, they'll sneak around, they'll look around and they'll disappear. That's when you have to use the teaser to get that light switch turned on. And once you get it turned on, then I just, I won't even, you know, I won't even tease them. What's the, now they're looking for something. What's the indicator? Like, like the body language on the fish and stuff. Like what, when are you like, all right, it's time. Oh, just when they accelerate. I, yeah. Once you, once you, once they make that one burst and you know about that burst it's so fast, yeah. you got them. Because their light switch has gone from off to on. so. But the other thing I've been doing in recent years, and I've got to have the right people to do this, and I've got a fair amount of clients that like to do this. And these guys like to, uh, like to catch sailfish on a fly. So I'll slow troll for Makos now. So I'll, uh, I'll have a hookless, hookless bait out, just like you do marlin. Yep. And I'll just slow troll along you know, whatever, you know, whatever margins I'm fishing. And there are times, especially in August, when that is a great way to get a lot of, a lot of fish. So you basically do the same thing. A uh, fly angler is in, in the, uh, you know, he's, he's at, at, at the, in the stern of the boat, you know, the port corner. And I'm, I've got my, my teaser rig or teaser rod, you know, off the starboard. I'm just basically trolling that thing, moving it back and forth from the middle of the slick or middle of the, of, cause I'll, I'll run a chum slick too behind that, yeah. you know, just, to, and I'll just run that in and out of the, of the, uh, of the, uh, of the, you know, of the, uh, outboard, you know, uh, propulsion yep. and then I'll move it back and those makers will come up and pop on that. And then I can just tease them in. And then once you get them coming at you like that, it's, it's just like sailfish fishing. The guy makes a cast boom. He's on. That's awesome. And a lot of times those fish are so fired up that they'll haul ass. I mean, I've had them run up to the bow of the boat once the guy hooks them. So it's like, and the thing will run up to the bow and then jump and then come back. Sick. So, but it's really cool, but you got to have the right anglers to do that you got to have guys that kind of know that game yeah the bill, but i love those doing billfish that. experienced anglers and stuff i'm sure they're they're pretty good yeah. at it yeah but that's really fun fishing though that oh man awesome. and you can put, so we gotta go do this yeah i know oh yeah you guys gotta come out yeah. you can put a lot of sharks on the boat doing that too that's a lot of sharks we get a or lot release we get a lot of them in the canyons like especially early season like in june if we get a nice slug of water you know to come in into that structure We've had yeah. them like destroy dredges, teasers, you know, eat blue the, marlin lures. Yeah, eat blue marlin lures. Like they, 
I mean, especially early season, we get a, we get a lot of bites on those fish. Not as big, not five, eight hundred pounders, yeah. but like a lot of like like behind me, like 100, 120, 150 pound class, you know? Yeah, that, that fish behind you is, is the, that's the perfect sort of trolling kind of, uh, trolling kind of, of makeup. And, yeah. and it, honestly, the big ones don't, the big giant ones don't come up like that. They, they're, they're just, they're dialed into something totally different. But, um, but that size behind you is pretty much what we're getting. And it's great. I mean, it's great. It's so awesome. Good sport. You know, you get them in pretty quickly and, and, uh, you know, and, and the jumps, I mean, that, and that's what it's all about. That's sick. What, um, so you've traveled a lot of places, you've filmed, you've been a host of, you know, show shows, podcasts and stuff. You've been fortunate enough to fish a lot of different places. You're obviously passionate about what your specialty is, but what, what other fisheries stick out in your mind? Like, I mean, we're all addicted to it. We all love to, you know, bucket list fish and stuff. If you were to pick a place to go back to, what would it be? Oh, man. Other than um, other than Massachusetts, obviously. yeah, obviously that's, well, that's be number out there. one. <laughs> I still haven't come back yet. Uh, yeah. um, I'm trying to think. Well, I, I love tarpon, so yeah, tarpon are my that's my jam, man. I love those things outside of mako sharks. Um, so definitely the Florida Keys, the tarpon, uh, the Panhandle of Florida for sure. Anything tarpon is great. But I fished an area last year called uh, it was on the Yucatan, mm-hmm. and it was uh, it was right out of uh, it was. Uh, south of tulum uh it was called, called punta allen and um i really got into some of the most spectacular permit fishing i've ever had i mean it was awesome but a side note from that is they have the biggest snook i've ever seen in, in ever down there i've heard, I got a, really? I've heard that down there that the I got snook a snook i've never heard massive. that i got a snook the guide said was 25 pounds on the fly holy shit i mean it was the biggest freaking thing i've ever seen so um, I mean, I've seen bigger snook in Mag Bay in the Pacific, but these are, these are, you know, these are Yucatan snook, um, but all sight fishing in shallow water. Unbelievable. All from the beach, um, from the boat or, or from a, from a boat, you can wave, but you could do, you could do the permit. You could do tarpon, bonefish, snook, all of them. And all in different sort of scenarios too. You could wave the flats for bonefish as good a bonefishing as I've had anywhere in the world. You can go and get the permit. You get those out of a boat, but man, it's, they're you know they're in typically really big schools and they actually like to eat the fly. The snook is really technical, sort of casting back in the mangroves, uh, and then um, you know the tarpon is just you know they're either rolling or coming across the flats. But it was really it was really great. So, um, but yeah, so that kind of stuff. I'm trying to think. Um, I guess what other I, places have you been that you love that you're like this? This is just sweet. Um, I mean, Argentina, I loved. I love that place for Golden Dorado. It was killer. What's that I mean, all Thailand, about? I've seen pictures so, of Golden Dorado, but how do you target yeah, those? And yeah, you tar- they're just a big, gnarly, you know, they're very strong. And it's, you know, you're, it's primarily where I fish them. It was, you know, sinking line or shooting heads and things like that, but very powerful fish. But the setting was really cool. It was on the Paraná River in northern Argentina. Um, Thailand was a killer trip for the Thai snakehead. Or the uh, royal snakehead, and then also the uh, the the Thai which is a really interesting fish. You go way up in the in the Thai Thai in the way up in the jungle in the southern southern part of Thailand, and you're, you're so remote, it's crazy. I mean, you, you've got elephants and all kinds of animals around. You're in the jungle. You have to sleep on on these floating huts. 
Um, what? That sounds yeah, it's, unreal. It's so, yeah. What do you mean sleeping it, it, on floating huts? <laughs> well, you can't sleep in the jungle because the Bengal tigers will eat you. It's oh, crazy. Wow. No shit. So you know, so so my my buddy, um, he uh, he, he's he's a guide and he's a French guy and he's like, oh yeah, I want you to come down and catch a tiger this year. I'm like, cool man. So we go down there and I didn't realize we we're going to be in the middle of nowhere, like 15, 15 hours from anywhere. Did you bring your brie? Yeah. <laughs> my what? Did you bring your brie? <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> and my Chardonnay. Yeah. Uh, so we, so we're, so we drove for like a day and a half to get to this place. We get these canoes and they take us across this big giant reservoir. It's huge, like three, four hundred miles long or whatever. And we're going to fish these rivers that dump into the, that dump into the reservoir. And uh, like on the first day, uh, our guides, our, first of all, our, my, my, I have a, I have a translator. His name's Francois, a French guy, really eccentric. <laughs> and we're on the boats. I'm like, hey, Francois. I'm like, hey, what, who are, who, what do these guys do? Because he had a, these big, long canoes. You had one guy in the front and one, one guy in the back operating this really weird-looking board motor. He's like, oh, those are our guides. I'm like, okay. What, what are they going to do? Well, they're going to help us get through the jungle to get to the, get to the river. I said, oh, okay, cool. I go, is that all they do? He goes, no. They're also the game wardens for this preserve. I'm like, wow. And it's a gigantic preserve. It's like the biggest preserve in Thailand. I'm like, well, what are they doing? Like writing tickets? He's like, oh, no, 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 no. He goes, they, they basically go and they hunt down poachers that are poaching Bengal tigers and elephants. I'm like, oh, hunt them down? And what do they do? Throw them in jail? He goes, no, they kill them. I'm Holy like, shit. Wow. What? That's aggressive. <laughs> so he goes, yeah, what? So he, he says something to the guy. He's like, he's like, <laughs> and the guy answers back. <laughs> And I go, what'd you say? He goes, I, he goes, I have no idea what he just said. I, he, they speak eight different, eight different dialects. I'm just hoping he picked up one word. Anyway, so <laughs> I, he was totally fucking with me. But anyway, so, uh, so we motor over, uh, this is uh, down, uh, it was probably 45 minutes down the, and he, and so the, the, the head guy, the head guy in the front of the kind of directs the guy running the motor to go over close to the shoreline. So we get close to the shore and there's a big, big giant pile of like, uh, like like vines, like a like a mound of vines, right? And I, I I look in there. I get we're get we get pretty close. I look in and I see a bone. It was like like a like a like a femur. I'm like, what, what? the hell is that? And then Francois is like, yeah, that's where they throw all the poachers. I'm like, oh, holy shit! <laughs> so these guys literally would kill the poachers. And Francois is like, yeah, yeah, they kill them and they stack them up in the jungle, and it's like a no trespassing sign. You know, I'm like, wow. holy moly. That's like predator that like, stuff. <laughs> that, that was like the first, that was the first day, you know? And so, so it, and these guys did not, these guys did not interact with you at all. They were like, they, they were like far out, man. And, um, they were, they were just trippy. And every day that we'd stop in this floating shed and get a gun, like a, like a shotgun. And then they, we'd go through the jungle. I guess they were going to either shoot poachers or shoot an elephant or something, but it was, it was pretty crazy. It was nuts. That's um, unbelievable. And, and so here, here's the funnier here's the funnier part of the story. It has nothing to do with fishing. <laughs> so 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 I played drums, right? I've been a drummer in bands for years. And so Francois was like, "Oh, you play drums, Connor?" I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "I set up set us up a gig at my buddy's bar in Bangkok." I'm like, "Really? Awesome!" So we get back to Bangkok and we're staying downtown in this really cool hotel and all this. And he lives down the street in some apartment. So he comes and picks me up at like like eleven o'clock at night. And he's, he, he gets me one of these things called a, they're called a tuk-tuk, right? They're like a, they're that like sounds a, promising. Uh, well, they're, they're, they're a scooter like a, with a basket on the yeah, back. Yeah, I know it. exactly what you're talking about. 
so he's like, okay, we're gonna go, we're gonna go play a gig at my buddy's bar. I'm like, oh, cool, man, right on. And so I, I had learned through the course of that, I think I was with this guy for ten days, that he was a blues singer. And I'm like, oh, man, this is don't tell you know, this guy probably can't sing and I'll, you know whatever. But he was really excited that I'm like, okay, so let's go. He's like, I got it all set up, man. I got the, the band's ready. I'm going to sing. You're going to play drums. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So we go through downtown Bangkok. I mean, it's crazy. You got the street vendors. You got not everything going on. Craziness. I mean, it's a vibrant night scene. And then all of a sudden, we make, we turn a corner and I look, and all I see is this big giant, like look like looks like Las Vegas, red lights, flashing lights, and you go through this sort of a, it's almost like a like a archway, and we the, the tuk tuk parks right there and we walk in and so we're in the red light district in in, in bangkok <laughs> oh i'm like what the hell i'm like the bars here is like yeah you're gonna love it i'm like oh god so here we go we're, we go to and it's the craziest place you've ever seen it's like las vegas with a bunch of naked people around it's nuts <laughs> and so and you've got all kinds of crazy just people from guys from all over the world just yeah, and, and women runner it's nuts so we go into the sky's bar right and we walk in and it's 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 wall-to-wall naked women and and all these european guys like you know getting lap dances i'm like oh this is not good you know and so uh we sit down you know and he the the owner comes over oh francois it's great to see you oh and this is coming yeah colin pleasure to meet you so i've got it all set up for you guys to go up on the set uh, for the next set we're like cool man so you know i'm sitting there drinking a beer and i mean it's 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 everything that you've heard probably about bangkok it's a nasty crazy city i mean it's nuts it really is yeah so we get called up on stage and, and the and so the band the band i think they're i think they were filipino but they, they were great but the guy in perfect english says and now ladies and gentlemen we're gonna have francois and conway come up and do a whole set for you I'm like, oh wow. <laughs> so we get up there and the drummer hands me the sticks and he said hey uh, good luck man you know in, in perfect english I'm like wow, so I get so we play this whole set, and it was and Francois could really sing, and it was awesome. The band was smoking; it was awesome. And as I'm playing, I'm looking out. It was the most <laughs> surreal scene I've ever seen. <laughs> smoke bellowing everywhere. The yeah, the place is filled with smoke. You've got you know Thai you know dancers, women dancers dancing everywhere, and creepy European guys like just acting like like uh, like lunatics. It was nuts, Dude. but it was. So it was a crazy, it was a crazy trip. That yeah. is unbelievable. It's fucking nuts. And I mean, I got out of and I, I have a, I have a sat phone and I call my wife. I'm like, honey, you wouldn't believe where I am. <laughs> and, and I told her, she's like, oh man, and, you know, you know, Michelle, she's great. But, yeah. yeah. And she, so she always has me tell that story. Hey, tell, tell, tell everybody when you were in Bangkok, you played blue drums in a blues band in the red light district. <laughs> That's unbelievable, dude. That was pretty That cool. is so that random was, too. It was totally random. That whole trip was random. Now I know. Yeah, now man. I know why he gets along and likes old Greg oh, so yeah, much. The experience, the freaking stories is like it's like back and forth. It's unbelievable. Yeah, well, that's what life's about, man. It's yeah, just you know what it. you make of it. It's all about the experiences. If you go through life not doing that shit, you know, life's a drag. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. What's uh one one of the final questions I had was I mean you've traveled told some freaking hilarious stories but is there anything that you've brought back into your fishery in Southern California um, from your your fishing travels that like you've implemented into your your daily game and routine? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think that um, I think every trip I do I bring something back, and you know, and maybe it's. 
maybe it's not maybe it's not necessarily you know techniques but it's more just observation how people observe the water yeah how you know their process their head process because the tackle thing and the technique thing is very you know it, 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 it there's a lot of cross pollinization wherever you go you know whatever but it's yeah. more what's in the in the guides and the captain's heads you know how they look at the water you know what 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 are they looking for um, their experiences, why they've got, why they have, have why they why they've gotten to this point. There was a process there, right? Yeah. So that's why I was like, I like talking to people because that's how I get my knowledge. And then, you know, in terms of techniques, um, you know, I'm trying to think, um, maybe rigging, you know, my rigging for, for, for Mako sharks kind of changed after I went to, um, Guatemala and fish sailfish. Yeah. Um, the way they rigged down there, it was, it was a really simple, effective system. So, um, for, te- you know, for, for me, teasers and stuff, I'm, I'm sure like those, no, it wasn't really teasers. Really? It was, uh, it, it was, it was the gear. It was the fly gear. Yeah. How gotcha. they use mono yep. and, and a shooting head. So you eliminate all the drag with all the you know, fly lines. So you shorten the head and you have mono and then, yeah. So that was, that was good. Um, but you know, it's more about the conversations and the knowledge that I, that I, that, that people are always willing to sort of share with me. I love that. And, 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 and that, that, that goes a lot, goes a long way. And I, maybe in some subconscious way that will, that will definitely affect how I'm observing my waters or my fisheries, that kind of stuff. So, um, and it's funny when we saw those bluefin, when I was fishing with you guys, I, I came, when I came back, I started looking at our bluefin a little bit differently in terms of how they move and how you guys approach those. Um, but I'll tell you another thing that popped up in my head is when we had, and I don't know if you remember this, but I think the first, the first shark we saw was a Mako. Do you remember that? I think that was Joe. I think Joe was on the boat that first day. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember hearing, I remember hearing about it. Yeah. Yeah. So that thing came in. I'm like, wow. And it, that the disposition of that Mako was so much different than the ones that I have out here. So that was, that stood out. And then your blue sharks it was interesting and in how hard those things were to feed sometimes, you know, they just, their light switch was kind of, you know, yeah, they're not, just not mellow. Right. Yeah. But, but, you know, but your blue sharks are way bigger than the ones I have out here too. But, yeah. but, but I, I think that's what I, you know, for me, I bring back the experience what I've experienced with, with great folks like you guys. And that, that really, and it's funny, all that stuff will rear, will, will come back to me when I'm on the boat with a client drifting along in silence and all of a sudden it's like you know what yeah that was a great trip we had back there in situate with the yeah. you know with the sears boys that was cool and i remember when they did this or we did this and then yeah so that that's that's what i bring back that's awesome that's awesome that's cool what else you got we've been talking for a while we man have, we're, almost, we're on an hour and a half what else we write down oh no um, shit yeah yeah it goes time flies when you're having a good combo I mean, man really just like uh you know, how did you get into it? It's kind of the only thing we didn't really talk about. Did you always oh. fish? Did you fish from, you know, when you were a little kid? Did Yeah. yeah so my dad and I fished every weekend. Uh, local lakes. We had a little a little aluminum skiff we'd take out in the bay. I'd fish on the half-day boats, which were like the head boats, you know. But as a kid, um, aside from fishing the local lakes, my dad, during the summer, he was a school teacher. He'd take me to Idaho. And he had a, he had a student... Um, uh, whose father owned a really, really cool uh, lodge in Redfish Lake, which is in Stanley, Idaho. And we would go up there every summer. We had a little cabin. And that's where I learned how to 
trout fish, and that's where I learned how to fly fish. And then coming back to San Diego in the winter, eh, not a lot of fly fishing, but I would I would continue to fly fish the local ponds, but I would also conventional fish. So I had a nice balance of both. And then um, just flash forward, you know, I got my first boat when I was, God, I don't know, 16 or 17. And I started just kind of fishing the kelp, you know, near shore stuff in the bays. And then I really got into, uh, you know, the uh, more of the serious nearshore, offshore stuff when I was probably in my early to mid-20s. And I used to fish out of a 17-foot aluminum boat with a 25-horse Killer Control Johnson uh, motor outboard. And I would take that thing 15 miles offshore. And I'd fish yellowtail, yellowfin tuna, and then I got into the shark thing, and then it kind of went from there. So, and... I, and the, re- the reason I got into the shark thing is because there was a, a, a re- an East Coast guy that, that uh, became a West Coaster. His name's Nick Kirchion, and he was a famous and still is a famous um, saltwater fly fisherman. And he developed a lot of West Coast fly fishing techniques, but he loved targeting mako sharks on the fly. And he lived in Redondo Beach, which is, which is just, you know, 45 minutes from where I live. And um, he wrote a book. And in that book, he had a, a chapter on fly fishing for sharks. And in that chapter, he had a subchapter on makos. And I remember the first sentence in that subchapter was the greatest adversary in the Pacific Ocean for the fly angler in the saltwater. Yeah, uh, the greatest adversary in the Pacific Ocean for a fly angler is the short fin mako. And he went and he listed why. And I went, I got to do that. And he also said, they're just right out my back, back porch. And so I said, well, shit, if they're on his back porch, they're definitely out of my back porch. Yeah. And so that's when I started really doing cool. it. And it took me about three years to get my first Mako, actually, because I was fishing all the wrong times, all the wrong areas. And then finally, I, I started, I had some friends that were commercial fishermen, older guys, you know, that thought I was kind of a, you know, one step above the village idiot going out there in, the, in an aluminum boat targeting Makos. But they were cool because they're like, oh, man, we'll help you out. Because they, they knew I wasn't going to kill them, yep. you know, but they were smart because they knew if I found them, they could come in and take one for the market. See, they were really smart because instead of them having their chumps, like I'd be out there chumming too. So what they would do is they'd say, okay, once you go up, you know, off of the, off the corner at La Jolla chum there, I'm going to be down here. And if you get anything, make sure you let me know. And so of course, <laughs> you know, I, I'm like, Oh, well, thank you. No, thank you. Mr. Sir asked me for, you know, telling me you know, where to go. And of course I get a couple in the slick and then I call him, Hey, Hey, Mr. Sir asked me, uh, you know, you can come up and, you know, check it out. He, he, that guy would be there in like a New York minute, he, you know, he's right there. And then he'd come in and he's like, I'm going to come in and take one. And he'd come in and he'd get one on conventional gear for the market. And he'd, he'd, he'd always salute me. Thanks, Conway. See you tomorrow. And That's he'd, he'd take off. But because I ha- I, I accepted for that, those guys, it was Laurel Serasmi and Lou Fade or some really famous older captains because we had this great relationship. And they, were, they weren't overfishing it. You know, but th- at that time, Mako Shark was a pretty good market price. And so they would help me. Like I would go back to the dock and they'd say, Hey, you know, uh, how'd you do? I say, you know, at, you know, after that tide, it kind of pooped out. He goes, well, you know, at that tide, you need to move down about two miles and you want to fish the inside hump area because the, the, the current's doing this, this, and this. And then they'd say like, do you know what the moon phase was today? I'm like, no, they're like, you better learn it. You know, that kind of stuff. It's like, Oh, well, shoot. Yeah. So I'd go back and I'd look, Oh, the moon phase was this. And I'd always keep a really detailed log. So they feed you some, some, some information and then they'd back off and make you earn it. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome the way they really, you know, crafted me into a really good angler. And then everything from like, you know, bird identification, they'd say, 
uh, what kind of birds you see out there today, Colin? Well, you know, I saw some seagulls. It's like, hmm, yeah, that's the wrong kind of bird. <laughs> and they, they believe yeah. like, what? And then they'd say, what kind of birds you see out there today? Well, you know, I, I saw some of those force or the, the turns. He's like, how many did you see? Well, you know, they're here and there. He goes, what were they doing? Well, you know, two or three were picking out in front. Oh, okay, they were picking, huh? Okay, all right, okay. Uh, did you see anything else out there? Yeah, you know, I saw some bonita. Oh, okay. Well, you know, they call mako sharks bonita sharks, and then they, like, walk away. It's like, you know, so I started putting all the pieces together, you know. So, and then now, you know, now it's it, I, I see what they were saying. Like, once again, you know, the experience I've had over the years with these guys, it, it all comes back every single day. Yep. So a lot of times, you know, I don't even, I, I rarely use my meter other to find structure or, or an appropriate area. Then I just go all visual. Boom. It's everything's on the surface. You know, I'm looking for porpoise, the right bird, the right food item, all that stuff. And it's all right in front of me. So, and then water temp, I'll use my meter for that. But, you know, a lot of times, I'll just go out on feeling. I'll just say, God dang, this feels really good. Or the and smell. I'll, or the smell. Or the smell. Yep. And I will not look at my meter and I'll fish it and I'll be successful. Yeah. So, but that's one thing they told me too. Don't ever rely on your electronics. Rely on your on your gut feeling. Your instinct. And they are that, so that is right. an OG trust, rule right there. Trust your instinct. That's, that's one of that's the top right. three, you know. That's it. You just so, hit on so many like amazing points because I mean, you know, we live in an age of instant gratification and a lot i think a lot of people i mean we love doing the podcast you know to meet talk to people meet people tell stories but one thing people aren't aren't necessarily going to get from this podcast or any podcast is there's still that like that hint of of secrecy and that that part that part of fishing that you need to build on your own and that that's right you know you have to you have to develop that recipe on your own or you're just you're not gonna you gotta be out there. get to that top level there's no that's way that's right yeah. you know you need you need to develop that that uh that sixth sense how to figure it out man you know yeah and you, look you can read all the books watch all the youtube videos do all that shit buy all the hot shit electronics but you know what at the end of the day um you know, you're going to, you, you might be successful, but the You'll guy in the lucky. 17, You'll get the lucky. guy in the 17 foot aluminum boat or, you know, whatever, who's been doing it and putting the time in and just has that feel has developed that sort of connection with the ocean is by and large going to outfish that guy every single time because they know, they just know what's going on. Yeah. If this thing's happening, if it's not happening here, it's probably going to be down here exactly. or, you know, you know, I mean, it's just, yeah. So I, I laugh at these guys that have these big, I look at my new boat, all this shit on it. And it's like, yeah, that's great, man. You know, but they never catch any fish, yep. you know, because yep. they, but, and it's not their fault. You know, they, they, they haven't been blessed like we have to have had the opportunity to fish so many days in our lives to have great mentors, like, you know, like your father, like my father, like the commercial fisherman that took me under their wings mm-hmm. and, and the great mentors that I have today, like you guys or anybody that I fish with. I mean, there's always a learning opportunity there. And um, when I when I hear guys say, yeah, you know, I, I know all there is about fishing. Oh, really? You know, I hear that. I go, that that, that guy's doomed. There's something you to know, be he, learned every, every day time. on and off yep. the water. I don't care every who day. you are. And fish, fishing will sit, set you on your ass. Oh, humble you. All the time. 100%. Yep. You got it. You got right it. Right when so. you think you know everything that's going on, you're, you don't. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what makes it great. You got to reset the, you got to set the need, reset the needle every time you go out yeah. and don't get caught. Con- don't get too confident. Cause once you do that, you're, you're going to get uh, or co- I should say cocky should always be confident. 
Right. Don't get too cocky. Confidence is a huge part of being successful. If you're not confident, yes, you're not willing to go out on your on your own and get away from everybody and actually be productive on those days. That's that right. You need to be. Yeah. You know. And 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 in our business, you know, chartering, you know, clients, if they're if they're if they're experienced clients, they pick up on confidence, and that really makes them feel much better. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get a guy that's kind of oh well, you know, he's oh, you know, he's just sort of you know, tiptoeing around and he's not really, you know, secure in what he's doing. That's not good, but that takes time too. It takes a lot of time to do that. Yep. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. Um, man, this has been amazing. Yeah, it's been a good one. It's been an awesome combo. This is like exactly what we needed to like boost the the morale, I think for everybody. But, uh, yeah, man, but just, but take not real quick. I want you to say everything, but how can everyone follow you, book a charter, find you on social, listen to your podcast, go through the whole gamut because, um, okay. You know, I want to make sure everyone knows where to find you. That's awesome guys. Okay. So conwaybowman.com is my website. Do they even have websites anymore? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) uh, Conway Bowman is my Instagram handle and that's actually a good place to check out. Um, and then I have uh, Conway Bowman's World of Fly Fishing, which is my Facebook page. Podcast is the Barbels Podcast, Southern California edition. And that's hosted by me and my beautiful wife, Michelle. Uh, and uh, let's see, what else? Jeez. And his, um, wife, and his wife, Michelle, is a marine biologist. So there's, marine biologist, there, there's awesome, a lot awesome. of information there. I listen, I've listened to a few and it is, it is freaking yeah. awesome. She's really smart. Yeah. I, I'm glad I married She's her. She's really smart. Unlike, <laughs> uh, unlike me. <laughs> you know, I'm smart in some ways, but she's like really smart. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and then, so yeah. And just my phone number, if you want to, if you want to call 619-822-6256, that's my phone number. And email is conwayxbowman at gmail.com. But you can get all that information through any of my, my, you know, Facebook or website or anything like that. And yeah come out enjoy this great fishery and uh yeah i i I appreciate you guys so great connecting just seems like just seems like yesterday we're on on the back here boat hanging out man i really i love it we still we still have to get you over to uh to pop the giant bluefin cherry for sure oh man i'd love to do that yeah well that's definitely that'll definitely happen i mean you know let's first things first let's get through this craziness we're going through now which we will and then we'll we'll schedule it We'll definitely do that. We'll so. do a little flip. Hey guys. We'll do a little flip flop. Before you leave, we just got to end on OG's three wor- three phrases of wisdom. Just remember, you can't catch them if you don't have a hook in the water. Always trust your instincts. And the third, you'll just have to keep listening. Stay tight, oh, everybody. <laughs> I love that. Thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Seabros Fishing Podcast. We'd like to take a second to thank our sponsors again, Mass Bay Guides and Deep. If you're interested in booking a charter with us on the Mass Bay Guides boats, you can visit www.massbayguides.com for rates and availability. Um, Call the office at 781-545-6516 to book a trip. If you're interested in how the season's going, what we're catching, how the bite's been, you can follow us on Instagram and on Facebook. Just search Mass Bay Guides and all of our our daily reports and everything will be there. If you need to gear up for the season, you need some fresh threads, some fresh apparel. If you need to grab a face shield or something for 
this uh, this craziness that we have going on with the COVID-19 outbreak. Make sure you visit www.shopdeep.com. Check out Deep Apparel. They have a lot of great deals going on right now. Um, and you can also use the promo code SEARSBRO20. That'll get you an extra 20% off your next order. We just want to thank you all for your input and feedback to a lot of our latest podcast episodes. We've got some some great uh, responses from our community. We're having a blast doing this. Um, if you have any ideas on guests or topics or anything, we are all ears. We are more than more than happy to entertain any new ideas and and see if we can get this thing to grow even more and, and touch on new things. So um, that would be greatly appreciated as well. If you want to contact us or you know reach out to us or or just check out what we have going on at Seabros Fishing, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Seabros Fishing. You can also visit our personal pages on Instagram, MBG Brian and MBG Taylor. You can direct message us there if you want to just shoot the breeze, talk fishing. You know we're in the same boat as everyone else, so we uh, we can't wait to get going. Um, can't wait to get going with the the 2020 season here and and hopefully it uh, it all comes together despite everything that we're all going through currently so um with that said thank you all very much for listening stay safe stay healthy and stay tight